0: Okay, well usually what we do or Pastor Steve does is he shows two slides and on those two slides he shows the result of Pastor Andrew's fall (laughs) and every time I've watched that during this season I thought to myself, wow, every time Andrew has to sit here and watch those slides, he has to relive that incident over and over again. And I'm thinking, he's probably thinking in his own mind, when is this ever going to end? But you'll notice with me that one of the things that Pastor Steve says is that he left Andrew alone on the top of the ladder. And that he went into the other room and then the catastrophe took place. Well, we're talking about ladder lessons And one of the first lessons I learned about a ladder is you never leave anybody alone on a ladder. Now, you have to understand how old I am, but back in my day, that was the first ladder lesson we ever learned because that was before all these newfangled ladders that look like transformers. And it didn't matter whether it was a stepladder like this or an extension ladder, they were unstable. They did not have all these uh, new rubber feet and everything to hold them steady. And so the ladder was constantly unstable. It would shake, it would slip, it would slide. And so the first ladder lesson that we learned was that someone had to come and hold the ladder while you climbed. Or sometimes we would put our weight on the bottom rung so that the other person could climb higher. That was the first ladder lesson, that you never or you should never climb alone. And so when Pastor Steve asked me to bring this lesson about uh, you should never climb alone, or I'm gonna call it aloneness, that was where I started and I thought now, what I would really like to do is to preach a message about the functioning of the body of Christ. Because in the body of Christ, we are not alone. We are members in particular, but we are members one of another. God has placed us together for a purpose. He calls us bone of bone and flesh of flesh. So that when you are honored, I rejoice. And when you are hurt and weep, I weep along with you. And we learn that within the body, each one of us have different gifts. Some of us climb the ladder. And some of us are simply called to hold the ladder. David said some people are called to fight in the battle. And the other people are called to guard the supplies. Or he said it, stay by the stuff. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the battle or guarding the supplies. Each job is important and complements one another because the end result is the work is accomplished. It doesn't matter who's on top of the ladder as long as the light bulb gets changed and the darkness is dispelled. So someone has to be on the top unscrewing the light bulb and someone has to be holding the ladder. And at the end, we're all in it together. We win the victory, the darkness is dispelled and God gets the glory. Amen, good sermon. And then I thought maybe uh, in this untoward, evil, sinful generation that we're a part of, we could do a sermon about how we need one another. In fact, the Bible says we are to bear one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. In fact, it says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. But even the more, as you see that day approaching... And if there was ever a day that we needed one another to hold the ladder so that it won't shake, so that it won't slip, so that it won't slide, so that we won't fall, it is this day that we need to bear one another's burdens, that we need to help the weak, that we need to strengthen those that are weak in the faith, and we need to be holding the ladder for one another. You should never climb alone. You need somebody to hold the ladder. But instead, I want to focus on something else. I want to focus on aloneness, being absolutely alone. And that scripture references in Genesis chapter 28, and it begins with verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted up on a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. It was the dark night. Of his soul. And he took of the stones of that place and he built him a pillow. And he lay down in that place to sleep and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord has stood above it. And said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereupon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And your seed will be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you in all places where you go. And will bring you again into this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I've spoken to you of and Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not and he was afraid and he said how awesome is this place this is none other but the house of God this is the gate of heaven and Jacob, Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar an altar And he poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at first. And Luz means light. Every time I read that portion of scripture, I want to break out in my old Nazarene Sunday School booster band song. We are climbing Jacob's ladder ladder we are climbing Jacob's ladder, ladder. Soldiers of the cross. Uh, Every round, we used to say every rung goes higher and higher. Every rung around goes higher and higher. Every rung goes higher and higher. We are soldiers of the cross. Rise and shine and give God the glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, you soldiers of the cross, I remember that song because of this portion of scripture. But what I wanna focus on is on aloneness. Never climbing the ladder alone. I started to say that I wanted to talk about loneliness. But there is a huge difference between loneliness and aloneness. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to understand that God created us to be in relationships so that we would be in relationship with the creator, with the creature, with the creation. He never wanted us to be alone. You see that in creation. There's always a herd of cattle and a flock of sheep and a gaggle of geese and a covey of quail. Even in creation, God was showing us that he wanted us to be in relationship. The Bible says he sets the solitary in families. He wanted us to be in relationship with himself. He wanted us to be in relationship with one another. He wanted us to be in relationship as the body of Christ. In fact, when he looked at Adam, he said, it is not good for man to be alone And he made for him a help me. He wants us not to be alone. But today the malady in America is we find ourselves in aloneness. And that word means to be solitary, to be isolated to be totally separated. We live in a society where we are surrounded by people. We're surrounded by social media. We're surrounded by communication, and yet there is this feeling of deep-seated, not loneliness, but aloneness. Now, we've all felt loneliness. We've been separated from home. I could Tell you about a bus trip to North Carolina I took one time and being so homesick I couldn't stand it. We, we, we all know what it means to be lonely for our family and our friends and our church family. I, I can remember as a teenager walking down the streets of my little town, 1960. Uh, dad gone, separated from my family, seeming like uh, out of sorts with society and the peer group. And there was this haunting song that would play over and over in my mind. It was sung by Roy Orbison. And he would say, only the lonely know how I feel tonight. Only the lonely know that this feeling isn't right. Uh, Am I really that old? Anybody else ever hear only the lonely? Most of you, you need to go listen to that song. It made Roy Orbison's career by the way. Well, if if that song is uh, is too old for you, then let's uh, let's come up a little bit to the Beatles, okay? And they sing it like this: Ah, look at all the lonely people. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives in a dream. Waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Father McKenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night. When there's nobody there, what does he care? And then the haunting last verse of that Eleanor Rigby Beatles song said, Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they come from? Where do they belong? We live in that kind of world, a lonely, lonely world. I just read an article the other day, not long ago, where a man that lived in a major city was in an elevator, an elderly man. And there was a young lady in that elevator, and she struck up the conversation with him. And as they came from the top four to the bottom, she was talking to him How are you? How is your day? As he gets ready to walk off the elevator, he reaches in his pocket and pulls out a $20 bill and seeks to hand it to that lady. And she said, What are you doing? He said, You're the first person that's talked to me in two months. Ah, the lonely people. In fact, not long ago, there was an advertisement in a Kansas newspaper, and many people thought it was a hoax, and the ad went like this, for $5, I will listen to you talk without interruption for 30 minutes. They thought it was a hoax, and so they contacted the person that put the ad in the paper, and that person told them, I have up to 20 calls a day from lonely people who just want to talk. In fact, one of the greatest examples I've ever read happened in 1980 in Miami, Florida. Her name was Judy Bucknell. Uh, She was 38 years old, single, weighed 109 pounds. She was homicide number 106 in Miami that year. She had been stabbed seven times and strangled. And she would have been totally forgotten except she wrote a diary. And they found the diary and they published it in the newspaper. And this is part of the diary. 57 lovers in 56 months. Much love given, offered. No love returned. And these are her words. I see people together and I'm so jealous I want to throw up. What about me? Who's going to love me? I feel so old, unloved, unwanted, abandoned, used up. I want to cry and sleep forever. I am alone, and I want to share something with someone. This was an epitaph on a gravestone, and I read it. It broke my heart. There was no date of birth and no date of death. These were the words. She sleeps, but she rests not. She tried to please but please not. She loved but was not loved. She died as she lived. Alone. More than loneliness. Aloneness. And you can be even in a relationship and be alone. I'll never forget setting counseling with a pastor and his wife about their relationship. And she used the most graphic language possible that I cannot repeat in this mixed crowd to describe their relationship. Basically, what she said was, we are intimate, but we have no intimacy. Man, it's quiet in here. She said, I'm nothing more than an object I'm not a person I'm not a partner I'm in this what people call marriage the most intimate relationship possible but we have absolutely no intimacy I've got a book called marriage married but not engaged alone And you say, oh, Brother Bob, that's just in this society. That has nothing to do with the word of God. Oh, really? Do you see Job sitting in the ash heap of his destruction? Uh, He's lost his fortune. He's lost his family. He's sitting in the ash heap surrounded by critical friends. Oh, I know what you're saying. He says, oh, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That's in the first two chapters. You need to turn chapter three, where he says, I curse the day that I was born. Turn to chapter seven, when he says, my days are swift, but they're spent without hope. And I have long, wearisome nights that seem like they will never end. And I toss to and throw, and I can find no rest. And my months are filled with vanity and emptiness. And he's sitting in the ash heap Alone. Or you could go with Moses. Disobedience leads to the backside of the desert. Discouragement, delay. The best 40 years of his life isolated, separated. Nothing to show but a shepherd's staff when he's supposed to be God's deliverer of the children of Israel. And he's in that desert of the dark soul of his night and he is alone Elijah back in the cave everyone else has bowed their knee to Baal everyone else has compromised the covenant and kissed his image and I even I only remain but I'm alone I didn't read Psalm 102 when you get home would you read that and would you read the heading? Where David says that it's the the man that is in distress pouring out his heart and his affliction to God. And right in the middle of that, he describes his situation in the cave of Adullam when Saul's trying to kill him, persecuting him, and he's surrounded by people. Men come to him in debt, distressed, and discontent. That's the group I want. And you know what he says? No man cared for my soul. And I was like a sparrow on the top of the roof. Alone. Or maybe you could jump on over and see that lady coming to the well at Samaria. Five failures in her life. Five husbands, no satisfaction. Living with a man that gives her his bed but not his name. And she's carrying that water pot out to the well midday alone. Or the disciples out in the midst of the sea, Jesus on the mountain alone. Or maybe after their hopes are shattered and he's crucified, you see him out there at Tabgah. And their, their, their boats are empty. Their nets are empty. Their hearts are empty. And though they're surrounded by one another, they're alone. Or maybe you could see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nine of his disciples at the entrance. Three of them had come with him to pray. And they're over there asleep. And he is in the agony of his soul. His face is down in the dust and the mud of that garden and he is alone. Or the one I like is Paul in 2 Timothy. Oh, I know he's the line of God and the apostle to the Gentiles and this great man of faith. Have you ever read 2 Timothy? Go to the end of the chapter. Timothy, do diligence to come unto me. That's a plea of his heart. Oh, Timothy, you've got to get here. Why? Because Demoth has forsaken me. Cretans has gone over to Galatia. And and Titus has left for Dalmatia. And I've sent Tychus away. And no man stood with me. At my first defense, I was alone. And you know how he ends it? Oh, Timothy, do diligence. With every effort you have, come to me before winter. Bring the cloak, bring the parchments, bring John Mark. But get here. Because I'm alone. But the best example is in one I read you. Jacob. Oh, you know the story. The Bible simply geographically says, and he went out from Beersheba. Oh, Beersheba. Oh, I know it's a geographical description, but it means the well of the oath. It is the place of God's presence. It is the place of God's promise. It is the place of God's provision. It's where Abraham and Isaac live. And Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. And Abraham is the OG. Yeah, he's the originator. He is the father of the faith and the father of the faithful. And he grows up in the tents of Abraham. And not only does he grow up in the tents of Abraham, he is the son of Isaac. And Isaac is the seed of promise, the miracle working power of God. But he has no relationship with God for himself. In fact, when he tells his dad how he got the deer meat so quick, he said, the Lord, your God brought him to me. At Bethel, what does he say? God is in this place. I didn't know him. I didn't even know this was the gateway to heaven. He grew up in the tents of Abraham, the originator, the father of the faith. He grew up in the tents of a miracle. But he's alone. You know why? He's got a dysfunctional family. His mother is a manipulator. His dad is weak and half blind and his brother Esau hates him. Why? Because Jacob lived down to his name. Do you know what his name means? Heel holder, supplanter, trickster. We would say he's a crook. He uses his own ability, his own ingenuity, his own power, his own understanding to deceive and to get his own way. He's always able to manipulate everything by his own ability. And he makes a decision to deceive. And he deceived his brother twice. First for the birthright. You know what, Esau, now, I wish I could stop there. There are four lessons from Esau I could preach to you, right? That, that's another sermon. You need to study that. Esau was a fleshly man, but his brother exploited that weakness. He knew it, and he deceived him out of the birthright, and Esau gave it up for a bowl of beans. Well, lentils, that's what beans are. you know what the birthright was? You'll be the head of the family you'll get a double portion of your father's wealth. But not just the physical, the spiritual. You'll be the priest of the family and all the messianic promises and blessings will come through you. Jacob got it through deception. And then he not only got the birthright, he got his blessing. How? He dressed up like Esau. His mother helped him do it. Goes in to his aged father. His aged father thinks he's Esau. The voice is not right, but he feels like a son. And now he's stolen the blessing. Dysfunction, envy, strife, jealousy, hatred, impending murder. And the Bible says he goes out from Beersheba, the presence, the fullness, the provision of God, and he goes toward Haran. And Haran means delay and detour and defeat. And he finds himself in the desert. Alone, and it's night. The sun has set, and here he is. He's surrounded by rocks, probably rougher than these. And he decides that he will take those rocks and make a pillow. And he lays his head down on that pillow to sleep. Can you see that? You you know what he's doing? When he picks up these rocks to make him this pillow to rest, he's saying, ashamed of my past. Afraid for my future. Alone. Alone. If you try to rest and sleep on the hurts of your past and the pain of your past, your sleep, your dream will turn into a nightmare. Because I'm going to tell you, there's not enough rocks to obliterate your decisions and your deceptions, and your choices, and your aloneness. In fact, of the words of that famous philosopher, Forrest Gump, it kind of looks something like this. And that is exactly true. You cannot obliterate dysfunction, use, misuse, abuse, decisions, deceptions, choices, if you try to do it in your own power. And that's what Jacob had always done. He had always used his own ability, his own ingenuity, his his own power, his own way of thinking to obliterate everything he didn't like. But now he finds himself alone, sleeping and resting, and his dream has become a nightmare. He's ashamed of his past. He's afraid for his future. He is absolutely alone. When he learns the first ladder lesson, you never climb alone. And all of a sudden, God shows up in the wilderness. God shows up in the night. God shows up in that dark night of his soul. Right in the midst of his aloneness, God turns on a light. Luz means light. And not only does God turn on a light, he gives a ladder. And the Bible said that the ladder in this dream reached from heaven, that's the top, And it was stationary on the earth and it's not going to slip and it's not going to slide and it's not going to shake because the angels of the Lord are ascending and descending upon it and the voice of the Lord is above it and God shows up in your aloneness. God shows up in your night. God shows up in your desert. He is an ever-present help in the time of need. He will never leave you nor forsake you, but he is with you always. His name is Emmanuel. What's being interpreted is God with us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, moved into my neighborhood, came right into the middle of my mess because he shows up in your aloneness. His presence is right there. You know what Jacob said? God is in this place. This is Bethel. This is the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. And when he shows up so that you won't be alone, he always provides a way out. And you know what he gives? A ladder. In the Hebrew, it means a staircase. But it is a ladder. And every rung goes higher and higher. Every round gets us further and further and further and further away from the wilderness of our aloneness. The first rung. The first place you start is that you recognize your situation because our problem is we have a, a sense of trying to hide that aloneness with people and pleasure, and you have to recognize I'm in the dark night of the soul of my loneliness. I'm in the desert of my own making. My own decisions and choices has brought me here, and I am alone. You have to recognize it, and then you realize, but I'm not alone alone because he's here. And then you start to climb after you've recognized and realized you shouldn't and you don't have to climb alone. You come to that rung called repentance and you repent of your sins and that leads you to redemption and God saves you and forgives you and cleanses you and then you reach the rung of restoration where he renews all of your relationships. In other words, he has a cleansing for your past. He has a confidence for your future and he has a companionship with you right now. And all of a sudden, you've climbed on God's ladder, not alone because he's holding it, it won't slip. I promise you, it won't shake, it won't slide, it won't let you down, and if you climb those rungs of realization and recognition and repentance, you'll find redemption and restoration. But he doesn't just give you a ladder. He turns on a light. And that light at Luz means a revelation. You know what he says to Jacob? I am the God of Abraham. And I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of your father. When he says, I'm the God of Abraham, he's given you a revelation. I am the God of divine promise. That's what he was to Abraham. He kept promising him. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you a blessing. I'm gonna make your name great. I'm I'm gonna cause all the nations of the world through you to be blessed. Him that blesses you, I'll bless him. God is a God of divine promise. And what does he say to Jacob? I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna keep you in the way that you go. I'm gonna bring you back to this land and I'm gonna give this land to you and to your seed after you and you'll break forth to the north and the south and the east and the west and through you all the nations. He's a God of divine promise. But he's not only the God of Abraham, he is the God of Isaac. He is a God of divine power because he can take something that's dead and make it come alive again. He is the resurrection and the life. And though Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old, he can still resurrect life into those dead bodies and Isaac will be born as the seed of promise and the miracle of God's power. And when you think Isaac's gonna be offered on the altar, no, God will stay the hand of Abraham and bring life out of death. He's not only the God of divine promise, he's a God of divine power. And then he says, and Jacob, I wanna be your God Because I'm the God of provision and performance. My promise and my power will perform and provide so that I'm not only the God of divine promise and the God of divine miracle, I'm the God of divine transformation. I can take every situation in the dark soul of your night. I can take every decision you've made in deception. I can take every broken relationship and everything that's ever happened in your life. And when I get through with it, I will transform it. I will make your hurts to be healed. And I'll make the pain of your past to become praise and worship and adoration to God. And the Bible said when Jacob awaked out of his sleep, he took the stones of that place and he built him not a pillow, but a pillar. He made him an altar and he poured oil on that altar and it became the place of personal praise and worship and personal commitment. And he said, Lord, if you will go with me like you said, and if you will keep me in the way that I go, and if you'll bring me back to my father's house to pee, in peace, and you'll give me food to eat and raiment to put on. You see this oil I'm pouring on this pillar? Because you've transformed it from a pillow to a pillar of praise and worship. You'll be my God, and I'll serve you. Oh, that's what I've come to tell you. You're not alone. You don't have to climb the ladder alone. All you have to do is let go of the rocks. I close. Jacob, uh, Job came to the place that he let go of his disappointment with God. And the Bible said when he let go of that disappointment with God, he prayed for his friends, and God restored him double. Oh, ten children were in heaven. God gave him ten more. He had double. you remember what Moses did in the wilderness? God said, "What's in your hand, son?" it's, it's this 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 staff, this rod of my disobedience and delay. and God said, "Let it go." And God turned it to the rod of God's delivering power. Elijah has to let go of the mantle. That lady that leaves the well, what did she do? She dropped the pot. The pot of her past hurt and pain and went to the city and said, come out here, meet a man. He knew all about me, but he didn't condemn me. This must be the Messiah. This must be our Savior. Someone that would meet me in the wilderness of my sin and still love me and hold the ladder for me to climb out. And the disciples had to leave their full boats and their full nets and their empty nets and their empty boats and their empty hearts. But Jesus has bread and fish on the fire and he just says, come and dine. I'll change that pillow of your pain to a pillar of praise and worship. And what did Jesus do? He said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And when he let go of the rock, the pillow became a pillar because God is the God of promise and the God of power and the God of performance and transformation. And when you let go of the rock, you don't have to climb Alone. What rock are you holding? Past hurt. Past pain. Decisions that were bad. Deception. Trying to do it in your own way, in your own power. Abuse. Misuse. But you're alone. No, you're The angels of the Lord are here this morning. The voice of God is right here. He's got hold of your ladder. It can't shake, slip, or slide. And you can climb out. And he'll turn on the light of his revelation. And he'll take that pillar, that pillow that brought no rest. And when you let go of the rock he'll make it an altar of praise and worship and personal commitment and you'll come out of your aloneness because he's here right now I want you to stand with me Father I'm asking you that because there are some here that in the dark night of their soul they're in the desert the sun's gone down their decisions and deception has put them in the desert and they think they're alone but we should never climb the ladder alone we don't have to climb the ladder alone because you're here right now turn on the light drop the ladder from heaven show them that they can climb out show them your promise your power to perform what you said you would do and transform every situation in their life. I ask you to do it today. I've got a whole bucket of rocks, different shapes, sizes, but for you to be turned from a pillow to the pillar Of God's transforming power you have to let go of your rocks there's not enough rocks on your own you're never going to obliterate what happened in the past you're never going to destroy the abuse and the misuse and your own decisions and deception you can't do it but if you will just take the rock and let it go God will make a pillar out of it of deliverance and victory in your life and if that's you right now and you're tired of being alone you don't have to be alone anymore you you don't you don't have to climb the ladder alone god's holding it for you and he's waiting for you right now as they saying i i want you just to come and i want you just to take a rock and i want you to Tell the Lord what this rock is, where your hurt is and your pain is. And as you let it go to him, through his promise and power and provision, he's gonna transform your situation and set you free from the desert, bring you to the pillar of his praise and worship. As they sing, would you come right now? Brother Bob Ip? I need I've been alone not just lonely I've been isolated separated my own choices decisions but I want God to help me climb the ladder transform my situation to a place of praise and worship would you just come right now get your rock get your rock just pick up a rock just the rock of my pain. It's the rock of my hurt. But I don't have to climb alone. Pray over it. Let God know exactly what it is. The Lord, through your promise, your power and your provision, you're going to transform it. Father, I believe that right now you're bringing us out of the night and the darkness into the light of who you are shamed of our past, afraid of our future alone, but we're climbing out. We realize and recognize and we repent. And you're bringing redemption and restoration and forgiveness and healing. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I'm coming out. (laughs) out. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Not alone his promise and his power transformed by his might. You need to obey the Lord right now. Some of you need to come and drop the rock of your past, your hurts, be healed. Be set free in Jesus' name. Be set free in Jesus' name. Be set free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Visit www.passionchurch.tv Remember, You can't live without passion.